Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I am a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And Michael, when you get to heaven, look up Adam Nicholas, because I won't be there, but my <laughs> podcasts will, including this one, at Podcast Horseman, which you can find on Twitter or Instagram as well, if you would like to follow this indeed. You can also follow either of your hosts, you can follow me at it's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. Uh, yes, indeed, you can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we would love you to follow or subscribe if you can still find him in that godforsaken update, um, or on Spotify, where you can follow, on Amazon, where you can get us through Amazon Music, on all the other independent podcast apps that I'm starting to really fall in love with. Overcast is a favourite, but there are also others. They're all great because you can find Podcast Horseman on a lot of them, as well as on Acast, where you can find the link every Friday on the app Podcast Horseman Twitter feed, either stream or subscribe through Acast. It's a good service, whichever one you prefer. And on any of the above, if they offer you the chance to rate and review, we would love if you would for us. Five stars, please. Otherwise, just don't bother wasting our goddamn time. But if you want to say something nasty in the comments, that's absolutely fine. Just leave the stars first. We're only in it for fooling some algorithms, just fooling some robots and convincing them to pump us up some charts and ultimately help more people find the podcast so more people can talk themselves horse about a talking horse and as we've said before this is the last ever season the last chance to get yourself a star on our hollywood talk of fame i feel like at this point i should point out that we will make time at the end of the season to read out everybody's reviews we are hugely grateful for everyone that sent them but only a select few are going to sneak in in time to get those illustrious stars on our hollywood talk of fame get them in you can get a star check out the socials to see what they look like they look brilliant they're adam nicholas originals uh, and we will be reading another one of those reviews at the end of this episode. Yes, and I have it on good authority. You will be able to sell them for absolutely nothing in the future. <laughs> so well worth getting your hands on. I mean, I don't know. The NFT market is looking pretty hot right now. I think if you want one, <laughs> there's money. if there's money to be made in Bret Hart's head, I think you can get some money out of a star in the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Yes, but unfortunately, when the NFT stands for no fucking transaction, unfortunately, <laughs> we aren't going to get any money from my artwork. We are just going to get a big, fat nothing. Anyway, while Michael pulls himself together, I am going to go over to Netflix to give you the synopsis for this week's episode. It's Bojack Horseman. It's Podcast Horseman. It's season six, episode eight. Of course, the final episode before the mid-season break. 
A mm. quick one while he's away. A reporter digs into the circumstances surrounding Sarah Lynn's death. Hollyhock goes to a party in New York City. A quick one while he's away, Michael. I wonder what that could possibly mean. Indeed. Well, what it means in the intro, at least, is that um, destination that we saw very briefly at the start of an older episode, um, a religious uh, church, a nunnery type place on a cliff in the sea, island carted off from the rest of the world, where Margot Martindale, of course, washed up a little while ago. And she since seems to have become fully ingratiated in the world as one of the nuns, though we find her um, pestering the sister, the more senior of the two, for answers, asking lots of questions about her past, um, her sins, specifically believing that there's no possible way she can be forgiven, to the point where the more senior of the nuns is getting a little bit pissed off, uh, to the extent that she wants Margot Martindale to go back to being silent, like she was for the first two years of her time at this place. Um, the fact that she's never said a word that long when she's clearly just a talented character actress is a crime against the arts, in my opinion. Um, but Margot Martindale does indeed promise not to bother her from here on out, because she reveals she's had enough of all this. Um, we briefly seen, prior to her getting ready to escape, um, Monsignor Toschini's 1962 Alfa Romeo, which is something that the, the nuns keep clean as part of their daily chores. But they're not going to see it for much longer because Margot Martindale speeds away in it. Uh, she's kind of had enough of this world. She's realised that she's not going to be talked down to by these people anymore. And as she's departing, she throws off the uh, the attire, the traditional nun attire that she's got. You see her hair flowing in the wind again. The uh, I don't know what it would be called, the smock maybe? It hits the scene in in the face, and she says, quote, when you get to heaven, look up Margot Martindale. I won't be there, but my movies will. And she speeds off into the world. <laughs> A big finish for her in this episode, because it is the last we will get of Margot Martindale. But no doubt the adventure will continue. We'll move, if it's okay with you, into the episode proper. A bit of fun for the cold open, that was. And we meet the Hollywood reporter, editor-in-chief, Bill Beekman. He's uh, about to meet with a, no a very annoying reporter called Paige Sinclair. Quote, she's the best reporter this building's ever seen, but God damn, is that woman a pain in the ass? And isn't she just? Paige walks in uh, monologuing about it being her wedding day, but how she's, uh, you know, going to be leaving this industry behind her, all this reporting that she's done. Um, in the meantime, as this occurs, a ton of chaos and drama happens behind her. She's knocking over things. She's barging people out the way. She speaks almost entirely in dramatic and absurd idioms, axioms, proverbs, and just oldie wordy rhyme. There's a real lyrical quality to the way she speaks, but he's not wrong. She's a goddamn pain in the arse. Um, and it turns out she's not the only one. In the very same office, out of his chair, bursts a Maximilian Banks, another kind of 50s era booze swigging gent with similar vocal dexterity and ticks to page they seem like they are cut from an identical cloth despite apparently coming from entirely different worlds um they have a sort of competitive frisson almost immediately about uh what it is to be a journalist and what it is to be in the room of the hollywood reporter um and both claim to be too busy to hang around with each other they've got other fish to fry it turns out though that uh Maximilian has been taking calls from a Carol Himmelfarb Richardson. Uh, she rings every day to ask about her dead daughter. This uh, certainly piques Paige's interest. Bill Beekman notes that uh, there's not really much to it. It's, quote, just a pop star who overdosed. It's an open and shut case. And then our eyebrows get to raise because we realise where this is going. Uh, 
Paige Sinclair is sniffing out a story in it. She doesn't think this case is closed at all. Um, she rings her groom-to-be. She is in a wedding dress. I should point out, if I forgot to mention that, as she bustled in. She's a wedding dress talking about how she's leaving the industry because she's getting married. She's about to start a new life, but she wants to crack one more case. She sniffs a story. She calls her groom Baxter to say that they can't marry just yet as she thinks she has something to do here. Um, it's, of course, revealed at this point to be Sarah Lynn. Um we cut to Sarah Lynn's Prickly Muffin video, but this is not research from Paige and Maximilian. Uh, it's being watched by Tony, which, of course, is uh, Holly Hawk's friend that we met in the last episode, and her boyfriend, Trey. They're in uh, Manhattan for a party. Um, they're in Trey's uh, very fancy, uh, their parents' New York apartment. Um, so it's a very nice accommodation, but Holly Hawk wants to see some of the city. She shoes away the idea of going to a bar in favour of seeing the Empire State Building while the night is still young enough before they do head to the party. From that, we go into a rather dark scene. Um, it fades in from what appears to be a poster of the wall of a quite a gothic-looking young woman um, who is walking through a thunderstorm. Meanwhile, a husband and a wife are sitting down to eat, only to be interrupted by this girl who is a shadowy figure emerging from the storm. Uh, it turns out to be their daughter, Ella. The father offers her a seat at the table. Um, they're having bacon-blasted uh, chicken fingers from chicken for days, you see. Uh, but Ella <laughs> wants to go where she's accepted. The dad stands up and replies that it's right here. She's finally accepted, but stops dead and then looks at us. He breaks the fourth wall and looks down the lens and says, quote, that's what I wish I'd said. I haven't seen Ella in four years, but every night I bring home dinner. I bring an extra bucket of bacon blasted chicken fingers just for her. So if she ever comes home, she knows she's welcome at the table. The shot pulls out, of course, to reveal that this is a Chicken for Days advert. It's not just any advert. It's been directed by Kelsey Jannings, who, of course, we haven't seen in such a long time. Um, she's directing the commercial, getting rather conflicting advice from her superiors, uh, the company representatives. Um, they insist it be called a, quote, immersive product placement journey, not an advert. Uh, it's clearly a less than ideal spot for Kelsey, as well we know, a very talented woman in Hollywood. Um, but as she says to one of her director friends outside, who we will learn a bit more about shortly, quote, a gig's a gig. She's paying her daughter's tuition, so she just needs the money. Obviously, times have still been hard from her, having fallen afoul of Bojack several years earlier. Um, her less talented male friend, I feel like it's worth pointing that out, uh, expresses nominal outrage on her behalf that he's leapt so far forward in the industry while she finds herself still doing adverts. Um, the chat is cut off briefly by his phone as one of the actors in the ballroom dancing blockbuster that he's currently directing has got some problems. He, uh, he goes to the actor's trailer and it turns out to be Gina who, of course, we haven't seen since the dramatic conclusion to the end of the last season where Bojack, of course, strangled her and they made it right for the good of her career and she wasn't prepared to be defined by him. And it appears to have worked because she is now obviously the leading uh, actor in a Hollywood blockbuster, um, but she is pretty pissed off. She's quite stressed with the extra pages she's been given um, by him to learn. She makes a point that it's not about the content of the notes. It's more the fact that they are extra and unexpected. She expects professionalism. She ex well, she wants to be prepared and she doesn't want surprises. Um, the director notes it's a change due to insurance that now includes a bigger stunt and more camera time on her face. He thought she'd be absolutely over the moon to get to do a stunt and get to feature even more in the film than she already did. She likes that, but she's extremely concerned about safety. Um, he reassures her that they won't shoot until she's 100% comfortable. Uh, and he kind of reads the room a little bit and sees that she's extremely rattled, extremely nervous, feeling incredibly stressed. He asks if there's anything else going on. She says she's fine. She makes it very clear that she's not a monster. 
She just doesn't like surprises. She refers to herself as, quote, number one on the call sheet. I'm entitled to a little respect. Um, she says that compared to other number ones she's met in the past, she's actually playing it really cool. I think we know who she's talking about. Uh, he leaves with a rather exasperated sigh, and she bollocks him about making his exasperated sigh too close to her so she could hear it. Um, I wanted to get through all of them because this isn't an episode brought down by A's and B's and C's, but by the various continued misadventures of several characters that are not our own. They are not the main cast. It is indeed a quick one while he's away. Not just he, Bojack, but he, Mr. Peanut Butter, she, Princess Carolyn, she, Diane. This is something very different. And I feel like towards the end of the episode, we will get into why that is. But that's all our plots set up one by one by one by one for the episode. What did you make of this rush through some old and new faces as we come to a critical point in the final season? I made of it that, of course, Bojack Horseman, the show, would wait until the eighth episode of season <laughs> six, the halfway point of their show, all these seasons later, to go, you know what? Let's change it up again. Let's change mm. it up again. And let's have an episode. The balls on this, by the way. <laughs> Everyone's coming in thinking, right, well, we know we're going to have to wait a few months for this now. Like, mm. uh, can't wait to see what's going to happen with Bojack. And For real-time context, this was the last episode before a three-month break, wasn't it? Yeah, three months. Three long months as well if you were watching <laughs> it in real time. But still, nevertheless, you've got to take that into account that we weren't going to see these characters for three months. People were wanting to understand and see what was going to happen next. And of course, of course, RBW and the gang said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir, he has a bunch of new characters. Of course, brilliantly sort of put out, or certainly some new characters, along with characters we wouldn't normally be following the day-to-day -day lives of. And let's get in to see what they're doing, because, of course, what way to sort of knowing full well you're going to have to jumpstart a second half of a, a sort of larger season than usual, then with some fresh stories. And I certainly think, combined with the fact we get, of course, the absolutely exhausted but excellent combo of Maximilian and Paige Sinclair... <laughs> Just watching these two on screen is tiresome enough. Imagine mm. making notes about them as well, but then also <laughs> being wowed and completely lulled into how brilliantly entertaining they are. Mm. Incredible. An incredible addition straight off the bat. Of course, seeing something from Hollyhock's perspective where we don't have Bojack as well, even mm. more interesting in my opinion. But one of the most welcome sights, I think we might both agree on this one, Kelsey Jannins coming back into this yes. episode. A character we both enjoy and have not seen in quite some time properly, I would say, and a proper stint for a little while. Because that's a character I get behind. And seemingly, Ma I was going to call you Matthew there. Seemingly, Michael, <laughs> you've become one of Todd's disciples, apparently, in all, this time, <laughs> all this time of waffling. Now we're going to find out more about them. Hollywood stars and celebrities, Michael. What did they know? Did they know things? Let's find out. Let's find out. Um... So, yes, we move forward next uh, with Kelsey. She's at Elefante meeting with her agent, Ruda Baker Rabitowitz. Yet again, another returning character from our past on this show. <laughs> He's laughing at her, comparing herself to her old mate, who we learn is called Justin Kenyon, the uh, director that she was previously speaking to, who is now working on the film with Gina. Um, Justin's movies make money. Whereas the last time Kelsey was on a film, she got fired. And of course, we know all about why that was. Um, she does note the sexism at the course, at the core of her firing um, because she was the only one to bite the bullet for a problem that she had almost nothing to do with. If you remember, of course, it was Lenny callously 
firing it pretty much just to make a point of who was in charge on set while Bojack and everybody else on secretary just continued unabated. Um, but <laughs> while trying to get across the inherent systemic misogyny to Rudabaker, who we know that was a guy that was a recipient of all the benefits that come from that system, no surprise, he doesn't really get it. Um, she asks him to get her out of, quote, director jail. And as she puts it, Roman Polanski makes movies and he should be in actual jail, which again, is just like another fantastic comparison. There are loads more to come and that have already been in Bojack Horseman, but of course in this episode specifically, it's never too late to go back to this institutional rot in this system, and it's great to have it in this episode. Um, however, in Elephant Eight, at the next table, we pan along to Paige and Maximilian. Um, they are with Sarah Lynn's mother, who plays a voicemail from Sarah Lynn from during the bender. She's furious with the various disagreements in her life. She's making a bunch of uh, very sarcastic apologies for all the things that Sarah Lynn knows at this point in her life that she wasn't to blame for, but that her mother had obviously put pressure on it when she was a, a young star and a pushy mother and all that sort of stuff. However, it is very clear that she's very, very out of it, back on the booze and drugs, which contradicts her mother's belief that at the time she was clean. Of course, she wasn't wrong until Bojack showed up at the house. Uh, Maximilian notes that, um, that at the start of the voicemail, uh, Sarah Lynn mentioned a quote, we... And the two of them want to track down who it exactly it was that she was with. Maybe they can find out a little bit more information about the night that she died based on the fact that the entire case has been left alone to go cold. Um, back to Hollyhock and Tawny. They're up the Empire State Building. They're looking out on New York uh, with Hollyhock admitting finally that she's actually quite nervous about the party and about drinking. There have been opportunities. Sorry, there have not been opportunities before. She claims that it's just there's been a lack of peer pressure at University of Wesleyan. So Tony takes the role of her peer and puts pressure on her. Come on, let's go to the party. And it's at this point she admits that she's quite concerned that um, she might lose control if she drinks at the party. Um, but she wants to push through it because she wants the experience. She wants to take chances. She wants to lose control in front of strangers rather than people she is familiar with. Um, I can't decide if that's better or worse, but there's something to be said about the folly. <laughs> The folly of youth and the sense of adventure in Hollyhock that she wants to perhaps, she's aware of the problems through being so close to Bojack, but wants to know that she can survive them by herself because she's a, a different person. So trapped in that conflict, she books up and goes with Tony. They're on their way to the party. Um, we go back to Kelsey. She's still working on the Chicken for Days advert. Uh, when Rudebaker rings her to let her know that he's got her a chance to direct a film, Fire Flame. It's a female-led uh, superhero movie. Um, with a female on board to, and sorry, to make that clear, they want a female director on board to tell the male backers that their feminist takes are correct. So there's still going to be males at the top of the hierarchy, but they're needing women as the front face to just as a box ticking exercise to make sure that they're getting their things correct. Um, Kelsey eventually goes and meets with the Fireflame creators. Uh, it is one male, one female, but naturally the male takes all the credit for the idea in the room when it seems clear to us that it's his, I guess it's either his sister or his wife. I can't remember if the episode is that's fleshed out, but it seems very clear she was the one at the heart of wanting to make this film and he's done exactly what they said they would do and step in and be the man in the situation. Kelsey um, sucks up a little bit. She puts over the franchise more than we know she really cares about it, but it does impress them. Um, the meeting seems to have gone very well. She goes to leave in the lift and we get the nice shot from the front of the lift, reminiscent of the type of shots that you would see on Mad Men, for example, where the lift door closed and you get a brief look at the character's face right before the doors close as a way to kind of cut them out of the shot. She forces out a strained laugh as if to imply that she's happy that it's gone well, but that very quickly switches to a rather dejected sigh. Um, 
we've got a bit more of Paige and Maximilian next. It's quite a big development, so it seems a nice place to stop. Kelsey trying to make her way through difficulty in Hollywood. Uh, Hollyhock trying to make her way through her own emotional difficulties in terms of getting to this party. We are seeing themes yet again of the various battles women face. And there is a growing undercurrent that a lot of these battles are indirectly related to Bojack in a horseman. <laughs> well, you beat me to it. You beat me to it because <laughs> that's exactly where I was going to go. And we will keep beating this very much alive horse until he stops spitting out money. Um, yeah, I mean, as you go along, you immediately realise this. Kelsey is where she is. Whether or not it was directly Bojack, technically he didn't fire her, but he did take her along for the ride and he didn't get fired. Um, Hollyhock, again, it's very, they're very deliberate with this. These are all characters to this point who, apart from uh, Maximilian and Paige, of course, who are like, there's a real grey area as to whether it was Bojack's fault entirely. Like, hmm. because... Serilyn's mother, I think, extends. If not Serilyn's mother. Serilyn's yeah. mother. Yeah, extends. I would agree another with woman, that as well. Another woman. Another woman as well, indeed. Confused with what Bojack's impact has yeah. been on her life. You know. Yeah, that's probably a great way of putting it, actually. There's a confusion and uh, mm. something that definitely needs to be clarified here between all of these is whether or not it was indirectly or directly, and most of them it was indirectly, Bojack was involved. Bojack has mm. played a role somehow, some way, shape or form, and he has impacted their life, surprise, surprise, in a negative way. <laughs> and we are sort of seeing the after effects that, of these lives that, that have been going on while we've all been having this great time watching this horse and hoping he gets better and, you know, to this point now, seeing him get better. But I think the real thing that is starting to grow in my head at this point as we, you know, take this little break at this end of the episode, I'm already thinking, he's got better, but what does that mean for all these other people? Like, and I think that's, you know, it's very deliberate that we're seeing this. It's very deliberate that, despite the fact, what did we say about that last episode? We loved one of my favourites, episode seven, season six. But it was all through rose-coloured glasses because that's great. I'm glad mm -hmm. Bojack's having a nice time. But what about everyone else? What about all these other people who he's affected, be it directly or indirectly? And now we're getting to see it. And life ain't so rosy in Hollywood for all of these people, all of these women more specifically. But I think up to this point, again, Kelsey, just such a welcome sight to have her back. But watching how you have to sort of jump through them awful, awful Hollywood cogs just to try mm. and get anywhere near where you want to, to even get half your foot in the door so you can start heading towards where you want to be. How much of your soul are you prepared to sacrifice along the way of being the big question? And the comparisons to her male colleagues are ridiculous. Hollyhock as well, I guess we're seeing the aftermath from her anxiety attacks brought on by that Beatrice uh, spiking, if you will, for so many, so many weeks and months or whatever it was. Oh, it's a mess. It's a real mess, Michael. Hollyhock, yeah, so young, but so damaged by her exposure to Bojack's drinking, and I think that's what this this quickly sort of, you know, if you if you fooled it all, I guess, in the first five minutes, you you're on the hook here. This episode is about damages. Uh, we would start the episode, you know, having a bit of fun with it, saying, "Ah, oh, Bojack's not in it. He's all over it." He's yeah. in this episode more than he's in some other episodes, quite honestly, because he features in every scene. The damage is brought onto other people's lives exist in every single scene in this episode. And it's really quite, it's quite remarkably made, especially picking up on the point you made at the end of our last episode, which was, 
30 minutes, the show starts again. Yes, and that's how long Bojack got to have that sense of serenity before we, the viewer, had to experience the things that have been brought on by the various, uh, uh, yeah, the various damages that he has created, even though he's managed to fix himself. Um, Paige and Maximilian are still on it. They're at the community centre where Sarah Lynn went to rehab and they resolved to sit outside and try and quiz the various people coming out to see if they can get one of the Alcoholics Anonymous attendees to admit if they've ever been in a meeting with a celebrity. We get a montage of various different celebrity sightings from various different characters until one suited up bird person, a bit more on him in your section later, I imagine, uh, remembers Sarah Lynn being at a session. Uh, he revealed, uh, he, he couldn't recall much about her, but he did remember that she wasn't sober and she was there with a large horse, he thinks, maybe a bull, very plain face, uh, <laughs> who also wasn't clean and went on to tell a very detailed story of a trip to New Mexico. Is this sounding familiar? It should do. We got to see this for ourselves. Of course, it was the story of going to New Mexico and Penny and everything that went down. And Bojack was very prepared to reveal that to the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's this he's remembered. He's got the full name, Penny Carson. So Maximilian and Page have a lead. Um, it's a, it's a really nice callback to all of this where he's just desperate to get something off his chest. Again, a case of Bojack thinking if he relieves some of this information, it is gone forever. But his damages can come back to haunt him and others around him all these years on. Um, Paige and Max are intrigued, to say the least, about this lead. And we will see shortly what they make of it. Um, we are back in the meeting room with the uh, the fire flame creators, uh, with another director sitting down to speak to them. When Kelsey bursts in, um, she notes bravely a series of fundamental flaws with the feminist messaging in the film. Uh, she notes how in real life, female superheroes are resented for trying to do good. They become figures of hate, and then they are punished by males for getting too powerful. It's obviously something that she has lived through and feels certainly like a truism as well. Um, she thinks the film could do with acknowledging that. Quote, being a superhero is hard. If it wasn't, everybody would do it. Uh, she leaves via the same lift, but this time the reactions are reversed. She starts with that pained sigh, but as the doors close, it switches to a laugh. It's that nice idea that I may have just thrown that away, but I can leave with my head held high. She's got the good feeling, even if she's not got the job. Meanwhile, back on the set of Gina's movie, and they're doing a ballroom scene, a ballroom dancing scene, and uh, all seems to be going well until her co-star dips her. Um, he obviously grips her, not tightly, but securely by the neck so that she doesn't fall. And we see um, the animation screen sort of flashes. It's the implication of the... You see it in films and television shows when they want to do like a Vietnam flashback, some sort of illustration of PTSD, perhaps. But Gina is suddenly immediately terrified, really rattled. She panics. The uh, co-star ends up dropping her. Uh, she hits her head on the floor. It's an unpleasant scene. Um, she's immediately furious. Uh, she notes that she thought she could have been concussed. The co-star defends himself, saying it was barely a foot off the ground. Um, and he just thought the dip was a reasonable example of the instruction that the director had given to, quote, have fun with it. Um, Justin, the director, scolds him for changing the choreography. He thought that was a step too far and he wants Gina to see that he is looking out for her because he, of course, promised earlier on that she had to be 100% comfortable and evidently she is not. Um, but Gina is furious. Nothing can kind of bring her down from this. She's noting yet again that she's number one on the call sheet and she just wants respect and professionalism. Justin tells her to cool down, which only infuriates her more. Um, she looks ready to burst in uh, like furious tears 
because she yells about just desperately wanting a safe work environment. But at this point, having heard the number one on the call sheet line, I guess, too often, um, a co-star fires back with, I had you. What the f*** is wrong with you? It's uh, all against Justin's wishes and begging that she storms off the set. She goes home. She's had enough. Nothing can bring her back. Justin is furious and exhausted, as are the rest of the cast and crew that have had the night wasted. This feels like a good point to stop because we only get two scenes with Gina, but it's incredibly powerful. Um, this is a woman suffering. There's no two ways about this. The, traum the trauma of what could be either considered an assault, a sexual assault, mm. Yeah. Uh, workplace bodily harm however you want to phrase this all of this is very clearly rooted in a truly awful thing that happened to her and this number one on the call sheet however she's trying to defend it is her in the back of her mind thinking the best thing she can do is protect the truth because she still doesn't want to be defined by it but look at the ramifications of having to do that it's it's brilliant television but my word, what an awful truth of Hollywood. It ref not Hollywood, Hollywood. It reflects out to us, the, the layperson, the viewer, that this must exist. Like, heartbreaking stuff, this. Supremely heartbreaking stuff. I mean, compare this version of Gina, who has essentially, in one way, got everything she ever dreamed of. She's mm. now number one on the call sheet. She's now getting recognition after her role in Philbat. And she is moving up the ladder in Hollywood, which most women really have struggled to do, as is famously told by the tale of Hollywood, specifically in this show, um, and Hollywood, of course. And, you know, look at look at how she is as a person, though, compared to how Gina was as a person when we first met her. Mm. So laid back, relaxed, just kind of getting on with things. Um, she was a mortgage, a mortgage actor, wasn't she? She did yeah, enough she just, to pay the mortgage and stay happy. She did. She was getting along just fine. And then, unfortunately, the problem we have here is that we're now in a situation where she's been left with all of this baggage from Bojack Horseman. Like, this is probably the, the most difficult, because this one was 100% Bojack. The rest of them, whether it was indirectly or not, you know, you could possibly argue a case for someone else being the one essentially who pulled the trigger, if you like. But not this case. This is Bojack. This is very much Bojack's handiwork, quite literally Bojack's handiwork. And that moment when uh, Co-Star goes to do the dip and puts his hand on the back of her neck, mm -hmm. quite clearly a triggering moment, as you can imagine it would be uh, yeah. for anyone. The worst thing in the world here, though, being that Gina's whole job is to act. Gina's whole job is to, you know, she's getting paid to go and switch off her emotions and turn on some other ones and, you know, be part of this moment, which makes this all worse because now people are thinking she's unprofessional for her lack of adaptability, for her lack of everything, when in actual fact, they have absolutely no idea just how excellent of a job she's really doing. Like, mm. they don't know. They will never know because she doesn't want them to know because if she does, it changes her entire, entire career tra trajectory once again. And we need to talk again, as it seems like we always do every season, of the perfect deployment of the one F-bomb. This simply never misses. Um, they go for impact, they go for heft. Um, it's never wasted, it's never thrown away, and you are left, even when uh, you're not left with it lingering in the air, because obviously a lot more happens after it's said as like Gina hurries off the set in a real sense of panic and stress, um, it lands and it's powerful, and I just think they've never once blown that. 
It's uh, I don't know if it's a gift from the standards and practices at Netflix. I don't know what it is, <laughs> or if they had, or if they had the freedom to use it and simply don't because they understand the power of words because you've got this, you know, a star tier of writers. But it's always sublime. I tell you what's nice about this one is that nine times out of ten in the show they'll use the f bomb when Bojack is probably irreparably destroy a relationship with someone like mm. it tends to be an exclamation point of the end everybody in this show basically who's ever dropped an f-bomb pretty much has had a big blowout with bojack horseman there's so many examples and every one of them could be tied to a very bad moment with bojack they're just really good at this stuff aren't they they know what they're doing i think, <laughs> I think they're um we go back to uh hollyhock and tawny they're at the party um, Tawny has left Hollyhock to it. She's gone to the closet with Trey to do some hand stuff. And uh, Hollyhock circles the scene and grabs herself a beer. She's trying to relax into it. Um, but it very, very quickly, I mean almost immediately, gets way too much for it. Um, she starts having an anxiety attack. And a man comes over to try and talk her through it and indeed get her out of it. And brilliantly, it works. He just gets her to describe her surroundings, just uh, say where she is, what she's doing, what she's got in her hand, what she can see, what her name is. Um, she relaxes and calms down. Uh, and the guy explains that he got the trick from his own psychiatrist. Apart from the bit where he asked the name, he just really wanted to know it. That's quite a little sweet party pickup line from a man that we know now to be Peter. He introduced himself to her and they head out to the balcony to get a bit of fresh air. Back to that shortly uh, because we are with Paige and uh, Maximilian again. Um, we see them stopped in some desert flats as Paige again phones her husband just to explain she's not going to be home because they found a hell of a lead. And it is indeed a hell of a lead because Max's map blows away out of his hand and it flies past the Tasuki water tank from, of course, the night of Penny's prom. They have made it to New Mexico. Oh, my word. Uh, fair play. They talk a lot of bollocks, but they work fast. Um, we are back to Kelsey again. He was sat with Justin to let him know. <laughs> that could be to describe us, that, couldn't it? <laughs> Kelsey is with Justin to let him know that she got Fire Flame, um, which is just, it's a sort of tossed off reveal, but a really nice one. She showed integrity in the meeting room and they went with her. One has to think that's something to do with there being one of the creators being a female because that seemed to cut through with her, if not to him. And mm. she's actually managed to get it by being herself. She's not had to sort of betray her own values to get the film. Um, and in doing so, she wants the perfect female lead. She wants someone tough and vulnerable and she's very keen on Gina. Um, Justin is passively positive at first about Gina's acting ability very much puts it back on to Kelsey and you've seen her you know how good she is um but Kelsey notes that she needs she cannot afford to have any drama on her set she needs to know that she's good to work with and at this point Justin can't hold it together any longer he concedes that she can be quite difficult he doesn't know how it happened he's worked with her previously and she was great and then magically she's not so great anymore um he can't hide his frustration and disappointment with how it's been working with Gina and conversation as we've as we've kind of always known from the outside to be very brutal they just move on somebody else straight away in this case it's Courtney Portnoy who they say oh yeah I've never heard anything bad about her which considering what we know about Courtney Portnoy is again nice bit of irony there um let's stop here for just a second because again it wraps um a couple of storylines it wraps two of the last ones, I guess. This is the last we get of Paige and Maximilian in Mexico. What a bombshell. And again, just briefly again on, on Bojack's damages and how he is in every scene. Kelsey has got to keep her set drama-free because of something Bojack did. Gina 
doesn't get the role that would be a career maker for her because of something Bojack did, and it happens over one dinner. What a stupid piece of shit that horse is. Yep, what a stupid piece of shit that horse is. And of course, you know, I know I, it's, I'm just connecting dots for people who've definitely already connected dots, but not only that, but Paige and Maximilian wouldn't even be anywhere near New Mexico. <laughs> Missing out on Paige's own wedding, we should point out, to go and chase... You have a pig and a person going to chase a wild goose chase while they try to figure <laughs> out what a stupid talking horse did. Like, I mean, that's a sentence in itself. But they're there, <laughs> and we know what happened in New Mexico. That's a disaster. But they're also there because they're researching the other thing, which, of course, is the fact that Sarah Lynn's dead. All of these things are the <laughs> things we've all had in the back of our head and have been pushing down and pushing down, hoping one day it'll all be fine because Bojack Horseman will do something nice and good and it will be great and he will have learned everything. <laughs> And we got that in the last episode. Unfortunately, that's not how life works. You get all that in the last episode, and now you are left to deal with the realities as we are being pointed to one by one in excruciating detail. And I tell you what, man, no story, I think, obviously, well, I realise Sarah Lynn's death is death at the end of the day, but Mm. in this particular episode, that feels like there's no story more sad and truly heartbreaking of being trapped in a bubble that you can't get out of than Gina's, where she Mm. just... The more she wins, the more she loses. That's how her life plays out from this point onwards. And that's just, it's absolutely heartbreaking. The uh, the thing, obviously, you know, we've discussed, you know, Bojack is a constant feature. But the show has got us again. It's done this so many times. Specifically, the bigger the rap sheet Bojack builds up over the show. Mm. Um, I'm not talking about the Bo, Bojack rap. I'm talking <laughs> about the, his crimes against people. Um, all it needs to do is show us a slight light at the end of Bojack's tunnel, and just his, and we as viewers are led to forget about the stuff that he's done that he never resolved. He resolves something for himself, or he makes nice with whomever. He cuts his hair, you know, he gets a job, a fresh start, whatever it is, and it's like, yeah, maybe things are fine now. And then it just lulls you into the false sense of security to the point where you become complicit. You become a part of his a part of his web because you've allowed all of these damages to be forgotten about because well he's tied himself up you know he's uh he's been nice to mr peanut butter everything's fine <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just enough for us like that do you know what is the other thing here which i guess maybe has only just dawned on me based on the monologue or i guess it's dialogue we've got from from kelsey in that meeting but is it because he's a man michael and the bar is so low at this point that we're happy if he just does anything right. Like, <laughs> basic bits of human decency. And he, he gets a haircut, and I'm like, well, that's pretty good, isn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah. and he's gone he's gone great gracefully. Yeah? Like, because that's what men do. We were supposed to, like, yeah. oh, no, that woman's hair's gone great. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think the important thing here is that the... How many times have we seen a show that was supposed to be portraying a bad character, a bad man, a difficult man, whichever way you want to look at it, and everyone, I say everyone, a lot of people have watched the show going, God, look how great that guy is. Like, that guy is so cool. Like, everybody thinking, like, at a certain point, Walter White was great. We love Walter White. Or Don Draper, great, handsome, sexy man. Would like him to be... Sorry, I'm getting carried away now. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? And people yeah. forget that these are characters and the writers are trying to send you a message to these characters rather than you fall in love 
with the allure of their character. They are very specific with this show to let you just go down that rabbit hole a couple of times, but you better believe they're going to bring you back and remind you, you cannot trust this person. You cannot support this person. This is not a good person. Remember all of this. And I think this show, I mean, there's many shows that do it really well, of course, from in the world of prestige television, but this one has a really, really good way of beating you over the head, but also a really, really good way of making you forget some absolute atrocities. <laughs> you know, but at long last, I feel proud that I can say it's taken us six seasons and a lot of episodes. I have learned my lessons. I am now fully aware. Stop being shocked that these atrocities keep coming back to haunt us. Stop it. And I'm not going to be shocked anymore. And it's just no. nice that we can end this episode on a high. Let's on get back high. to the party. Yeah. Let's get back to the party, get back to the fresh air. That Glad good. that we've got yeah. that out of our system. We are not going to be fooled again. Uh, Hollyhock and Peter having a really nice time, having a good chat, um, having a beer. Um, Hollyhock's not really enjoying the taste of it yet because she's not had that much. And Peter like, kind of notes that it doesn't always taste great at first, but you really get to like it. He says it took him a little bit longer because he didn't drink through college at all. Um, he just notes it's it's nothing, probably. Um, it was just a, a story with a girl and quote some shit that went down when he was back at home. Uh, Hollyhock asks just here a little bit more, but it's nice because meet you, isn't it? The one to get to know each other. This is what you do. You find out about these complete strangers. It's lovely, really. Um, now it's probably going to go wrong. Um, so he tells us the story anyway. Turns out that when he was a bit younger, uh, he had a friend who had a man living at a house. Um, stop me if you've heard it. Um, Hollyhock just assumes, oh, like your two dads. She's got loads of dads. This is normal information for Hollyhock, mm -hmm. isn't it? But no, he wasn't a dad. She had a dad. This was just a guy, just a random guy. Um, weird this, right? Because he says that the guy was uh, always with a girl who was the best friend of his girlfriend. And then what happens, right, is the piano that we've heard before when things really go to shit mm. drops in and the key changes, which I think is odd because they're odd. just having this nice early romantic exchange. I didn't I didn't know why they did this, Nicholas. Got to be honest. Anyway, it's fine. They're all going to prom. Who doesn't love a prom? But the it's man, man does it. A bit weird. Bit weird. Hollyhock even says at this point, it's a bit weird. Yeesh. Man going to the prom. And he uh Pete says, like, it's not even the yeeshiest of it. And you're thinking, oh god, what's happened here? They, they all had a bit too much. No, one of them had way too much. The man bought them bourbon and forced them to drink it. This is getting a bit dark, isn't it? Um and then his girlfriend got alcohol poisoning, and the man abandoned them at the hospital. I don't like where this is going. I think I might need your thoughts on this after the fact. It was pretty scary. Peter admits he was actually traumatised for a while off this horrendous experience, as we've learned. He didn't drink. Uh, he notes it's he's only okay now because he realised through, obviously, psychiatry that we've heard about earlier in the episode, through getting through the trauma, it's not about um, the beer or the experiences of the times. It's about the man. Quote, it was all some shitty dude rather than the people in his life. It was just this one shitty dude. Um, Hollyhock, understandably, empathises. And Peter notes, oddly enough, that the guy was actually a famous actor. He hadn't heard of him. But it turns out, after the fact, it turned out he was a pretty big movie star. Hollyhock asks who he is. And uh, Peter doesn't seem to want to give her the answer for some reason. Um, so she pushes a little bit again. Tell me who it is. Pete opens his mouth and the credits roll. Oh. 
Got any insights? Uh, you know who it is, though, don't you? I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, again, lived in moment of watching this as it happened. The how they yeah. managed to yeah. get so far before you it hits you. Oh, Jesus Christ, it's Pete Repeat. Like, oh, I remember. Incredible. incredible. I remember. Like, much like Bojack, I remember everything now. I'm sober. Um, <laughs> I remember the exact moment where I went, oh, my God, it's Pete Repeat. <laughs> Pete Repeat. For anybody who's going, who the hell's Pete Repeat? Obviously, it's just Pete Repeat from the early season. Season two, is it, where mm. when Bojack goes to New Mexico, of course, the young guy who's with Hollyhock and Hollyhock's friend. No, no, the young guy who's with Penny and Penny's friend when they go to the prom. It's him. He's an adult now. There's been a lot of time passed since, and... Once again, we find not just another person who's been affected by Bojack Horseman, Michael, but also a man who's been affected by Bojack mm. Horseman. It's not just exclusive to women. He ruins everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. And I tell you what they do excellently here, which I remember just did not see it coming. They, they, no. they hide him in plain sight brilliantly. It's enough. He's old eye, has a beard. He's not doing the repeat gimmick, which is probably just as well. <laughs> um, they call him Peter instead of Pete, which is enough to throw you off the scent. Yeah. But I tell you what they do even better is that we are so concerned about Hollyhock because she's having a mid-panic attack pretty much, yeah. This guy turns up, and he's really nice. He's mm. a nice guy, Michael. He's a really nice guy. But at a party in New York City where she doesn't know anybody, a nice guy could be the most dangerous guy in the room. I remember and, that feeling. Scared and, for it. Vulnerable. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're scared because she's vulnerable and she's at a party and men are the worst. So <laughs> and she doesn't drink. He obviously has been drinking. I was in the party and I was sitting there with the most uneasy feeling thinking, if you do anything to hurt Hollyhock in this episode, <laughs> I am going to drive to your house, RBW, and I will, I will probably hug you first, but then I'm going <laughs> to punch you in the face. <laughs> and of course, that's not it, but it's worse. It's far worse than this because... We have arrived at a point where we are left, where two worlds are... Worlds are colliding, Jerry! <laughs> where two worlds are going to collide that shouldn't have normally collided under any other circumstances in the world. But a bombshell is waiting, and the one word, or the one name that is going to change all of that is the name of the guy who wasn't even in the episode, Michael, but completely ruined a lot of people's lives along the way. Uh recurring theme in our reviews as we found along the way and i genuinely don't think it was something i picked upon until we started talking about it and i can't remember off the top of my head the first time we were confronted with this reality but it's become a common one over the years if there's one thing more distressing than living through the awful event pick your favorite bojack awful event there's been several it's hearing somebody tangentially related to it describe it out of context mm. a guy I was quite traumatised. That's the worst, he isn't it? He forced booze on us. You think you've had the worst of it by experiencing the terrible night, the terrible time, the terrible moment, whatever it might be. It's not those things. It's the, it's lifting it out of context and imagining yourself hearing somebody tell that story and going, it starts trivial. That's weird. That's a bit strange. Yeah. Then it becomes traumatic. Then it becomes dangerous. Then it becomes the, the worst single experience of a person's life. And... We've seen them happen in the flesh and somehow they make it worse 
to like it's the horror movie principle of almost not seeing the scary monster is scarier than seeing the monster but we've already seen the monster we've come mm. face to face with it and it's somehow worse having to experience it through somebody else's like the prison of somebody else's description but you've stumbled across something brilliant here because why is it worse it's worse because when they just go back to here it is on paper as would be written anonymously without any context whatsoever mm. atrocities we know he's done it but the one thing they've given us over six seasons are a bunch of caveats and well he's like this because this and oh but what about this sad thing that happened to him that made this you take all that away it doesn't matter because as todd says you know it's, it goes back to that line you, you can't just do shitty things to people or because things happen to you you can't just be that way with people i'm paraphrasing of course but mm. like we usually let him off the hook because we think we've seen so much bad shit that has happened to him. You put it on paper as just a man, and how brilliant is that, by the way? It's still it's still accurate. He's just mm -hmm. a man, but we know him as a horseman, this whole yeah. show, that tiny thing. Put an R on the end of Pete, and you don't know who he is. You take the horse away from the man, and you don't necessarily yeah. know who he is. It's incredible. Tiny little differences on your mind that is running through this thing, and eventually... Here we are, like brilliant, brilliant stuff. But also, God, how have we let this happen for six seasons? <laughs> well, I think what it does. So when you're watching the thing happen, you know, in this case, it's obviously everything that went on with Penny and, and Charlotte in New Mexico. But context clues <laughs> lull you into feeling like the situation is fine. Pete telling story to Hollyhock is this guy just lived there and went to our prom. We see him have what appears to be a fairly comfortable existence with yeah. Charlotte, Kyle and the kids. And then almost like a charitable gesture, I guess you could call it, to go to prom mm. with um, with uh, Penny. Like, strip away the context, as yeah. Peter has reasonably done, and it's a totally different and dark and devastating story. And they're so good at that. They always give you just enough contextual clues. Mm -hmm. It's like the first time that they try and... Um, for the want of a better term that I can't think of, the first time they ever try and babyface Beatrice based on the awful experiences yes. that she's had yeah. after for years we've lived with her as the biggest villain of the piece. Mm. And then you see what she has endured and you kind of have to go back and revisit exactly why she's unleashed these horrors onto Bojack. It's because she's, you know, had some of them unleashed mm. onto herself and so on. When they strip away the context of a situation, it is brutal. And this reveal is brutal. It really is. And I think what makes all of this even more impactful is that the show is so good that we are now getting these are tremors and like realizations and um I don't know, coming to pay the toll for stuff that happened <laughs> in season two and season three. Like mm. that's a long time ago, man. <laughs> for a yeah. show to sit on something. Yes, you might get little touches here and there. But we've been sitting on this for a while now, and this mm -hmm. is, and now it's coming to a head in a way that we've kind of just. We Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You've enabled. And the only yeah. other thing I just want to quickly say there, because you mentioned it, and speaking of enabling, it makes you wonder if there's also, when Pete explains it, or Peter explains it the way he explains it, is that part of a... Not it's definitely Bojack's fault, a thousand percent. But you've also then got to ask the question of Charlotte and um, Kyle, just essentially allowing that like Bojack to go off to the prom with their daughter in an unusually sketchy scenario. It would be in any other way, but I guess it goes to show you that that's people having faith in him. I guess maybe, mm. but still a sketchy scenario in a way, isn't it? Do we think just like? As I, I get a bit of spitballing, um, is it implied through the the timing of the dialogue and the, the conversational pacing between them that Peter's got a hunch that he maybe shouldn't have told his story as he's about halfway through it? Um, is there some sort of is it is it a comment on obviously in an anthropomorphic world he might see another horse and think maybe a relation. <laughs> Or something like that, in a way that some people might do if you get even the slightest context clue about somebody related to somebody else. Or like, there's nothing worse when it happens in a situation. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's my friend. Yeah. Oh God. Or oh, that's my cousin. Or all that sort of thing. Is is he starting to hesitate, not wanting to tell her because he's got some like even the faintest of hunches that if he mentions it, it's going to blow something wide open. Possibly. I always thought when I watched it though, I read it as he's nervous because I don't think he's told anybody the story before, is what I mm. think it is. I feel like... It's as just reliving something As difficult. we described, though, there's an... In fact, funny enough, I just watched um, a man who's currently re-watching Friends uh, mm. in order for the first time, and it sounds weird. I've watched them all out of order, but I'm watching them in order now. Um, and it's the, episode, it's the one about when Joey and Kate, you know, the actress Kate, who mm. he is madly in love with, they stay up all night and have that night, don't they? It's like... the Yeah. And Monica says, oh, you had the night where you kind of met the person and you just opened up. It kind of feels like they're having this moment. They're on the balcony. Mm. Pete's helped us through this anxiety attack, which is kind of the one of the oddest meet-cutes you're going to get in this show. Yeah. Something great's come out of it, and they go out on a balcony, and they're having this conversation about life in general, think this and that. And then it steamrolls into, he obviously feels comfortable enough that he wants to maybe have a chat about it. And if you, if you recall, he even tries to go, ah, oh, it's just this stupid thing that happened to me. And Hollyhock says, no, actually, I'd, I'd like to hear about it. Like, if you want to talk about it, I'm happy to. Which is someone saying, hey, if you want to talk. And that's maybe mm. something he hasn't had, or I don't know what. But he opens up and he starts this. The only moment you really get of 
proper hesitation is when she asks for the name. And I think it's because he's famous. Because once it's a famous name and he puts it out there, like mm, yeah, that's he's told a story that's inevitably probably going to get passed on because he's a famous. He's, he was once famous on a TV show back in the nineties, Michael, and films, of course. He's doing what Gina wants. There you go. That's he's not is. sure about whether to cross that line because once it's out mm. there, it's out there, isn't it? And like, yeah. and I think I, that's what I, that's how I always read it. But I can mm. definitely. No, I like that. But I also in this world where everybody's a. We, I, we've all done it. We've all been in that scenario. I've put my foot in it many, many times mm-hmm. in that regard. Um, but that's how I always read it in terms of RP. Pete repeat, my good Lord. Pete repeat. But funnily enough, Michael, funny enough, not the one repeating, is he? Because Holly's <laughs> the one who, re- she's the one who repeats. Who is he? Yeah. <laughs> who is he? Of all the things, of all the little gags in there, never mind. Anyway, speaking of gags in there, mm-hmm. shall we try and break up the tension? Yes, please. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's going to break it all up. <laughs> but certainly go through the episode and do what we like to call horsing around, where we go through and we find all the little things within the episode, all the small details you might have missed, and all the Easter eggs that happened within the episode, starting from the very beginning. Or sometimes just things I like that made me laugh. So we go all the way back to the very beginning, to the Covenant, uh, where Mar- Margot Martindale is, Michael. Just great stuff, this scene that she's been there for two years. And making all these, well, maybe more at this point, uh, and making such leaps and bounds before she decides, sod this, I've had enough of this. I'm Margot goddamn Martindale. I just love that line. When you get to heaven, look up Margot Martindale. I won't be there, but my movie's well, she says. Vibes <laughs> off. Sort of into the sunset, really, isn't it, with this kid? <laughs> having a great time to land in goodness knows where, Michael. I can't imagine where she might end up. I guess we'll have to come mm. back at the second half of the season, to find out. We go to the opening credits, though, and there has, for the first time, I believe, in this season, been a change. Uh, of course, the big change that's happened is that Diane's new look is, yes, of course, yeah. updated as she looks down at Bojack in the swimming pool as he's falling to the bottom. She and Mr. Peanut Butter, and it's new and improved Diane looking down. Lovely stuff. We go... There, from there, straight into the offices of the Hollywood Reporter, more specifically, the office of Bill Beekman, Michael. And Bill Beekman, of course, he's a bird, Michael. Don't know if you got that. Um, <laughs> bird, I would say maybe a seagull, from what I can gather. And he, of course, has a beak. So there you go, Bill Beekman. And Bills, of course, he has, because he's a bird. So there you go. Um, not like Beyonce Bills, like actual bird Bills. Um <laughs> We see in the office, though, a few things. One of them in the foreground of the shot is a copy of The Hollywood Reporter. And on the cover, Michael, brilliantly, uh, is Jay Hernandez as Mario in Zack Snyder's version of Mario on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliantly done. And the headline reads, Plum Good. (laughs) On the tagline, I guess, for Plum Good. Wonderful stuff. Nice callback that after all. Go on. I mean, one day we might get Sonic the Hedgehog, the Snyder cut. We might well do. We might well get it. Who knows? (laughs) But brilliantly, though, we go closer in, another shot within the office still, and um, Bill is reading a menu, you will see. And on the menu, the menu is called See You Later, Alligators, rather than Alligators, because Alligators to all your food needs. But excellently, there's another quick gag in here, and this is why you turn the closed captions on, Michael, because as he's on the phone, Bill says he's talking to uh, someone about uh, page coming across and all this kind of thing within the Hollywood Reporter. He says, yeah, give me 10 inches. And he says, I also want a roast beef sub, six inches. 
So, of course, in that whole swing, six inches for the soap, and he wants 10 inches of copy to go into the Hollywood Reporter because he's running the show, Michael. He's the <laughs> editor, which I thought was a really great bit of wordplay that. Also, in the background, you can't see them all, but the ones you can see on the wall are a bunch of framed, I assume, prized uh, Hollywood Reporter covers. One of them says, Fallon, fever pitch or fever dream. The other one says, uh, the other one, sorry, you can see, is one with a, um, a Marlon, a fish person, who's got like a tight white T-shirt on. We can only presume, Michael, is Marlon Brando. We've seen the gag before in yes. the episode. I assume it's him. It's in black and white. It would kind of make sense for it to be him. And there's also one you can see that has three dogs who are in suits, staring out, looking all pretty majestic on the front cover. And the uh, headline below reads, Canines Film Festival, of course, instead of Cannes Film Festival in the oh, edition. And uh, the rest of them, you can't really see. They're obstructed by objects in the foreground or by the head of Bill Beekman. But if you can't spot any of them, do let us know at Podcast Horseman if you've got better eyes than me. Uh, we also, brilliantly inside the offices, we see the path of destruction that is caused as Pierce Sinclair walks in to the office. She does all sorts of people that she walks by. But the funniest one for me is as she, she spilled people's coffee, she's not papers out of people's hands, but she's got the bouquet in her hand presumably for her wedding, of course. Mm. She just chucks it behind her as she's going to do something else. And this poor guy who's walking just gets completely and utterly wiped out by this bouquet of flowers and kind of goes like, ah, and like falls over in the background. A really, really cute guy, but had me howling. Very, very funny indeed. Um, but of, at one point as well, you'll see his page is coming through. She's holding a copy of the Hollywood Reporter, presumably one she... Uh, wrote on and it's the copy that we've seen in the past which has Vance Wagner on the cover of course the ah, yes. real wronging Vance Wagner mm. and the line poster is in there that reads he's back and in brackets now he's close brackets tolerant <laughs> <laughs> and I just love this line as well from Maximilian Banks who says I may, la I may lack your nose for news but I've got an eyeball for a highball he says as he holds <laughs> his big highball full of whatever drink he happens to be drinking at that time Two wonderful characters, these two. Shouldn't yeah. work, but it really does. They are exhausted to watch. But of course, Michael, we do also, the last thing we get from in that office is we learn the real name of, Hol of not Hollyhock, of Sarah Lynn's mother, of course, Carol mm. Himmelfarb Richardson. A hyphenated surname there as well. But of course, revealed to be Sarah Lynn's mother, who we have met before, but I just don't know if we've ever had the name in full. Yeah. We go to Trey's parents' house over in New York City couple of bits here we get the logo on his jumper reads creamy but it's very specifically done in on his sweatshirt it's on very specifically done in the style of the supreme logo you know the brand we've all seen yes. it before and along with uh, tony's hat that reads hat i think we ought to get the gist these two are very hipsterish michael mm. hipsterish in new york we also get a brilliant line from trey who says just in case you didn't get it michael and i guess I almost feel like it's a, it, there's a joke here in the fact that this is something that Bojack would never do unless they were taking the piss out of themselves. He's watching, obviously, Sarah Lee in the planetarium video. We cut out to see the two of them watching the laptop, and he says, did you ever notice that this music video takes place in a planetarium? And Sarah Lynn died in a planetarium. It's <laughs> <laughs> a brilliant way to spell it out, of course, for anybody who might have forgotten somehow at this point that that's a thing. But also, it feels like a very Bojack Horseman type of gag, that um, exposition for the sake of exposition. We go outside, though, and there's, as we leave the apartment, there's some great posters on, like, um, a wooden fence, if you want to call it that, that's boarded up around, I assume, an empty plot that's waiting to be built on. Um, you'll see a few posters. One poster, Michael, of course, is for... 
Zack Snyder's Mario with Jay Hernandez, another one getting a plug. <laughs> of course, Mario holding what he's famous for holding on the front of this poster, two assault rifles, um, which makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. There's also another poster for Milwaukee Postal TV, a TV show, essentially. And there's a sticker over it, though. Like a sticker I assume someone's put there that says, Post no bills, damn it. As if, like, we'll <laughs> think about posters going up on these um, wooden bits of fence or whatever you want to call them. There's also the poster which you mentioned we get transitioned into for the advert, which reads, The girl who came in from the rain, coming soon to Gronkle. So, what we're finding out here is that also Gronkle, a brilliant name for a, <laughs> for a broadcast network or whatever, or a streaming service. But this whole advert is being advertised as well by posters. The girl who came in the rain. The anticipation for an advert. It's incredible, this. But was it not in one of the previous episodes, maybe the last episode, where someone left their job as an acting coach to go and it was literally the last episode. Uh, the, re- the whole reason Bojack ends up getting a chance at Wesleyan University was someone was leaving their role to go and do a bit on a commercial. Am I correct? I'm sure that's what the thing yes. was. Yes. Was leaving to go and do a bit on a commercial. Now I can't confirm it, but is the man in this advert the man who left us being a teacher working in a commercial? We don't know, but it's something I'm now. We're having that. We're having that. If not, who knows? But it seems too specific, that doesn't it? I mean, the thing is, Kelsey was given an impossible job here because, in terms of Chicken for Days adverts, how do you improve on perfection? I mean, how on earth do you beat that advert? The greatest advert that was ever made, I think. Because it was chicken for Daisy, Michael, and it's totally crazy. That's, that's it'll stay with me forever. That like, it really will. <laughs> also, one last little poster, by the way, on that um, I don't know what it is fence, wooden barrier, barricade thing. Uh, it's a poster that's half fallen down, but if you look carefully, you'll see a little dog uh, who's celebrating a birthday, Michael. Which leads me to believe it's a poster for birthday dad of course once again getting out there and there's also some graffiti on there one says pizza rat and another one where the poster's been ripped away for the um the milwaukee postal poster and just reads tiny guy was here (laughs) so that was quite cute (laughs) uh we go across to the editing studio of course for the chicken for days advert michael and as they're talking about their audience who they're aiming at and how the audience responds to certain things that guy, the really, it's like the two, it's like the couple of foxes, I think they are, who are describing their audience. He says, they love stories to engage them on their level, utilising themes of inclusivity as well as dunking on the old. <laughs> <laughs> I know you took offence to that, but you shouldn't. You know, it wasn't directly <laughs> aimed at you. It was just the wider olds in general. <laughs> I did feel targeted. I did, I got to be honest. <laughs> much like a targeted ad, or much like Mark, <laughs> much like Michael, a targeted the immersive product placement journey that we went on for this advert. Indeed. Let me just say this. Get the sensor ready, me. Fucking hell, what a ridiculous phrase that is. <laughs> Unbelievable. But so true, unfortunately. So mm. goddamn true. We go across to what I believe is Paramount Studios where they're doing all this filming um, for Justin Kenyon's film, but Kelsey is there visiting, I guess, just to see him. Uh, or coming out of her editing studio, I assume, to see him, maybe. Um and as she comes out, as she comes out, we see that there's a um, a little gag where she's talking to just there's a giraffe assistant who goes by on a bicycle, and he's got a basket on the front that is literally stacked full of scripts, presumably that he's taken to someone's set. 
and because he's a giraffe, Michael, he's balancing, he's not balancing, he's holding them all in place with his long neck that he's reached over the top of the pile and is keeping <laughs> them in his basket as he cycles, like, furiously to try and get somewhere on time, presumably. There's also a vendor machine that's called the LA Core or Lacor. I don't know which one uh, it is, but I thought it was quite cute, this. As a, uh, it's a brand that is a pamplemousse, meant to be pamplemousse flavoured sparkling water, which would be grapefruit flavoured sparkling mm. water, but of course it's a Bojack Horseman, so it's pamplemousse flavoured nice. sparkling water. Tiny change. One E makes a whole difference, or one S, one less S, Michael, makes a whole difference, mm. apparently, in this one. We go to Gina Casador's trailer, um, and obviously, as we see here, she's, you know, going through the motions with um, Justin as he's talking about the new changes. And um, this, though, despite the fact that Justin, for most of it, seems like he's trying to do right by Gina, I think we can all agree, mm. This line in particular just sounded so horrible. He says to Gina, ever since I directed you in that episode of FBI, Female Body Inspectors, I thought, oh. i got to give this woman her close-up. Oh. Yeah. He's, yes, he wants to help her by giving her the better roles, but he wants to give her the close-ups because he saw her in a show called FBI, Female Body Inspectors. My question is, based on the fact that we saw Gina, or the attempt to put Gina in the nude in Philbat, what mm. kind of situation was he seeing her in to make him think that, which is ugh, Hollywood. I a, yeah, I, I have a lot of conflicting feelings about Gina's pre-Filbert CV because, you know, she was very clear about the type of stuff she did. Procedurals, uh, yeah. was never getting picked up for second seasons, but she was no. getting a season's worth of work over and over yeah. and over and over again. And then, so you get in your head what that is, and then you hear one like this and you think, my word, like how many compromises was she being prepared to make to get the mortgage yeah. paid? And it's just like, it's just, it's just hard. And it? it's just like really unfair and hard. And the reward for that is having the worst experience of your life with Bojack on set. And now mm. you're famous. <laughs> Enjoy it. Enjoy it at the top. Everything where you... you ever wanted. <laughs> oh God. It's awful, isn't it? Um, we go from there across to Elefante, where I feel like, I know we have been there a couple of times. It feels like ages since I've been here. Mm. Um, there's a couple of cute gags here. There's, uh, <laughs> as we first get to Elefante, Pickles is working, but you don't ever even hear from Pickles. She's just in the background. Uh, but there's dog people who are sitting at the bar as well, and the bartender, who are all staring at a television, fascinated, Michael, as they watch what is only described on screen as Frisbee Tournament. <laughs> <laughs> And they are literally sat in awe as two women are throwing a frisbee back and forward to one another. Excellent stuff. There's also another great gag where there's a wolf and a sheep who are on a date, Michael. The wolf is not eating a damn thing, but he is passing a lot of plates over to his sheep partner, who he's presumably fattening up as he sits there staring at her intensely, I assume, getting ready to eat her later on in life. Who knows? Mm. Um, there's also another cute gag. We see Rudabega, of course, sitting at the table talking to Kelsey Jannings, but he, for his meal, is eating a carrot and a small pile of grass because, I don't know if you know this, Michael, but Rudabega Rabinowitz is a rabbit. So, of course, he is. It's fascinating. <laughs> Amazing how they managed to tie it all together. Um, of course, another little bit from Rudabega in this episode and in this scene in particular, uh, when talking to... Kelsey, about hiring female directors, she kind of says, I've heard so much about this, and yet nothing seems to be happening. And he says, oh, they want to. They just they want to so bad, just not for this particular project. And when Kelsey pries a little bit further, he says, well, for anyone. 
He says, I mean, you name it, whatever Paul Feig's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and this unraveled for me, overturned rather, a stone, which I think is an important one, where we see Hollywood promoting films with more women in them and more female actresses getting the chance, more female ensemble casts. But looking at this little quick hit list of Paul Feig films, we get Bridesmaids, we get The Heat, and we get Ghostbusters, all good films in their own right, all focusing on females, mm -hmm. all giving women the kind of opportunities they should be having, but not directed by a woman. Why not go the whole hog? Let's have all of it. Let's give them the chance. And mm -hmm. I love the way they tie this in as a microcosm of this episode, because to me, it's just as bad. It's almost just as bad. Yes, it's a step in the right direction. It's a big step in the right direction. But why not do it all? Let's have it all. Because as we will find out, Michael, they're as good as, if not better. What a mad, mind-blowing concept, eh? Who would have ever thought it? Um, we do also see, though, when uh, Carol, um, Sarah Lynn's mother, is talking to uh, Maximilian and Paige, she shows her list of voicemails that she's got. She's obviously trying to show the one Sarah Lynn voicemail. Uh, but on there, we also see she's got a few voicemails, I presume, from newspapers and from journalists. One is the National Echidna. The other one is <laughs> the <Earth> Snail. <laughs> and there's then one from Sarah Lynn and one from Murph Rootswallow, which I don't have a, a base for, and I tried to have a look up to, a, a look into, couldn't find anything mm. in particular. So unless I'm missing something specific, I don't really know. You'll have to let us know if you have one indeed mm. at podcast horseman we go across to the empire state building in new york and you see initially a great little gag where three women who presumably are on some kind of night out dressed up and uh, they flutter up into the sky and they're taking a selfie themselves in front of the uh, empire state building but because the birds michael they've managed to fly up to a good height to get a nice selfie also when you go onto the observation deck of the empire state building what do we call it the binoculars they're looking they're looking Device, what do you call it? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. looking, I was thinking they're looking glasses, but they're not like magic magnifying glasses, are they? No, but yeah, they are binocular like. Yeah, you see, it's not, it's not a stupid question to ask, that is it? No, it's not. Put a coin in the world. That's, that's the one. Either way, there's two spiders there who have multiple eyes who are like, hey, come and have a look at this. And they're like trying to look through the thing. <laughs> it's a very cute gag because they can look through all the varying different sized oh, holes because they've got multiple eyes. You see what they're doing here? Wonderful stuff. There's an eye holes gag to do with um, to do with Rick and Morty in there. I'm sure. But I'm too <laughs> I'm too in, I'm too in, engrossed in this show to be doing yeah. that at the moment. We go across to Gecko Rabitowitz Agency, which is a brilliant other world agency. I always feel like we don't see enough of, but mm. it's fascinating nonetheless. When Ruda Berger is on the phone to Kelsey, we see an assistant now, presumably happier because the assistants have won the battle against. Uh, the big bads, and we, but we do see, ironically, she's come with a bunch of coffee cups, and on the coffee cups we get a bunch of name gags, which are quite cute. Uh, presumably coffees for Vanessa Gecko and for Rude Bega. Rude Bega picks his up, and his name is Rude Bagel. <laughs> we, also get, <laughs> we also get Vanessa's is v Van Gesser, <laughs> because if you don't know it, why not take a guess? There's yeah. two others. One is called Foopel, F-O-O-P-L-E, I almost feel like it's for people. Mm -hmm. It's just people. people. Yeah. And one of them, I swear to God, maybe you can't see the rest of it, but the other one just reads poo. <laughs> Which is great. Uh, really good, that. And in itself, oh, I feel like almost a little wink and a nod to the Scrabble guy from The Sopranos, which 
Yeah. It's even better. Who knows? Maybe I'm just overreading things. Maybe sometimes things are just things. We go and also <laughs> see, though, in that hallway when Rudabega is walking through it, we see a little callback, Michael, to the flight of the Pegasus, if you recall. The film and the franchise that Bojack didn't end up becoming a part of because Princess Carolyn tried to get too much at the time when he was trying to do Kelsey's play that was turning into a film and the flight yeah. of the Pegasus at the same time which the role ended up going to Hollywood star Chuff Hollister, if you remember correctly. Um, mm. Well, it's the trilogy has finally been completed, it seems, with Flight of the Pegasus 3 was the tagline. The trilogy ends. He's got, like, it's the horse with wings who's floating yes. amidst a pile of flames in the background. Maybe it's hell, Michael, who knows? But as is the way with Hollywood, Michael, brilliantly at the bottom you'll see uh, it stars Chuff Hollister, it stars Lenine de Capricorn, who we haven't seen or heard from <laughs> for a while. And also, Michael, it's starring our favourite uh, act, actor in all of Hollywood, some lady who's in this one. <laughs> she's great. She's, a, she's great. She's a, been in so many things. Thing. She's been in so many things and won so many awards. Fantastic at this point. But because this is Hollywood, Michael, as Rudabega continues down the corridor, you better believe it's not the end of the trilogy, brother, because we get a poster for Flight of the Pegasus 4 with the tagline, The Trilogy Soars Beyond. And we see yes. not... Not no more is he in the flames of hell or wherever the hell it was. He's now on the moon, <laughs> <laughs> wearing a space helmet, but he's still got his wings. He's still the Pegasus, and on the bottom now, Chuff Hollister starring once again alongside Michael, some lady. So she's back and she's having a great time. Another excellent performance, I'm sure. Alongside some other lady, another female <laughs> in Hollywood breaking through. It seems. <laughs> God bless him, bless him, bless him. <laughs> who would want to be a woman in Hollywood, Michael? Oh, God, it's a, it's the worst. It's the real worst. Who would want to be a woman? Honestly, you have my sympathies. <laughs> you have my sympathies because we are the worst. Anyway, Warbler Studios we go off to, and it's Kelsey Jannons has gone to the Fire Flame meeting, of course, the uh, female-led superhero film that she's going to potentially direct. And as we get in the room, we see a bunch of winks and nods to superhero stuff. Now, I will suggest there are many in this. And to be honest... Some of them, I think, are cute gags. Some of them might be winks and nods to actual superheroes, but some of them I might have to leave to your interpretation because there was a few of them. But the ones I clocked, or I thought I clocked, uh, on the back of Kelsey's chair, you will see uh, a cape, which looks very familiar. If you're a Marvel fan, it looks like Thor's cape. It's got the two circles and the red cape hanging behind. There's also a bunny in there who is dressed up as what looks like the Punisher from the Punisher films and the Marvel franchise, uh, the comics as well which I assume, Michael, is, of course, the Bunisher, because he's a bunny, and it's a Bunisher. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Put it together, you get the Bunisher. In the background on, on the screen, you'll also see, like, an eel and a crab who are battling against one another flying in the sky. <laughs> I don't even know. The crab man has like, a CD on his chest, which I assume might be, like, crab dude, or, like, he looks a little bit like Daredevil, so maybe it's crab devil. I honestly don't know. It's supposed to be stupid. You get the electric eel who's got electric powers. Just an eel I'm going to go with. <laughs> <laughs> there are also a couple of little miniatures around the room which are equally ridiculous. One of them, I think, might be a wink to Iron Man, but in a stupid way possible because he's like, I think it might be like Pan Man or Kitchen Iron that kind of iron, because literally he's made up of a cookie tray or a bacon tray. He's got two pounds in his hand. He's got like a 
pot for a hat. There's also a sieve, like a metallic sieve, it looks like, maybe, or, or like a, a cover that you would put on a frying pan to stop the splatter for like mm. the base part. And there's a pan for his midriff. Pan Man, Iron Man. Thought it's got to be, hasn't it? It's got to be. Podcast Horseman. It felt like Iron Man piss take to me, but who knows? There's also um, like a fox, a fox who is done up a lot like Batman, but he's got a plumber's plunger in his hand. Like, hmm. so, a fox. I mean, a fox and a plunge. Ah, <laughs> a fox. It was looking like Batman. I didn't get, I genuinely get anything. I just totally. I tried. I looked at it. Yeah. Fox plunger man. Scott, <laughs> <laughs> at Podcast Horseman. There's a couple of other figures. One of them is like, a, it looks like a unicorn who's done up with two swords. It looks a bit like Batman again. There's another one, which is a fish who's done up with armour that looks suspiciously similar to Saiyan armour, if you've watched Dragon Ball Z before. But other than that, and maybe the colour scheme from Johnny Quest, if you remember Johnny Quest. Jesus Christ, there's a callback for you. Other than that, I've got nothing. Genuinely, I am stumped. And anybody who has it, at Podcast Horseman, please do let us know. Anyway, let's move on from that. Seeing as how I've got nothing for you, let's go to the hallway when Kelsey leaves that meeting, because I do have something for you. Uh, There's two posters on the wall. One, Michael, is for invisible hey and the tagline reads steer clear <laughs> and of course <laughs> superpower is michael he's a bull who can turn invisible <laughs> invisible Visible. do you get it it's it's an <laughs> easy three pointer also outside is shell boy which is an oyster version or a clam version of the famous character hellboy basically done up exactly the same but he's just got that like the clam for a head which yeah. is nice Cute gag. Nice little cute gag. We go over to what we find out is the Miracle Mall Community Centre, where um, the AA meetings and such take place. But we do get a list on that board that gives you the Wednesday schedule for that place. We see it says at 1.30, it's pick up basketball. But at 2.30, Michael, it's put down basketball. At 3.30, <laughs> it's free rabies test. At 5 o'clock, it's Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. At 6.30, it's paint and sip at 7 30 it's chug and doodle <laughs> and at eight o'clock it's dingo bingo <laughs> so just some lovely stuff going on in that community center shout out to all those community centers that do put on a multitude of different things and mm. used to do it for next to nothing because they're, they're the ones working hard who are for the love it's for the love yeah, isn't it's it? just full of love it really is um as Paige and Maximilian, though, are questioning a bunch of people coming out of the meetings, you see. We get a whole host of different things. But here is an impossible bit of content, Michael. An impossible bit. Because there's a parrot woman, Michael, who comes out of the AA meeting. And after a bunch of other people have named a bunch of other people, a parrot woman comes out and starts scrolling through her phone to say the people she's seen in AA meetings. I don't know if you remember what you said on the last episode of Podcast Horseman, Michael. But you name dropped a certain person. And would you believe it? This woman, this parrot woman, has seen Colin Farrell in her AA meetings. She's seen the IKEA monkey, the famous IKEA monkey. And she's also seen Russell Brand, Michael, would you believe? Indeed, yeah. Incredible, incredible stuff. A callback now to an episode of Podcast Horseman. <laughs> in an episode of Bojack Horseman. I don't know how they managed to do it, but they're that good. That's how they did it. You see, it's oh, all relevant. Michael Hack, Michael, I was going to call you Michael Hacklett there. 
that sounds about right, to be honest. Yeah. I was trying to say, Michael Hamlet's no hack, and there you go. It's a Freudian slip, and here we are. Freudian truth came out. Freudian truth comes right out all those years. <laughs> <laughs> now, brilliantly, you mentioned we would be getting more of this later on, and indeed, the time has come. There's the man in the top hat who is clearly a bird person who would be described, Michael, as a bird who is dipping his body to drink his coffee like one of those office toys was what I've written down mm. in my notes. But as you yeah. do, a little quick search, of course, a better description would be from Wikipedia, describing it as drinking birds, also known as the insatiable birdies, dunking birds, drinky birds, water birds or dipping birds, a toy heat engine's that mimic the motions of a bird drinking from a water source. And of course, the excellent gag here, which was excellent the first time we saw it in the episode, uh, in season three, episode 11, of course it would have been, where that's too much, man, where they do go on that bender and end up at the AA meeting. His whole life, Michael, it's unavoidable. He was literally built to be an alcoholic because he can't stop, because he was physically created to have perpetual <laughs> motion at all times. <laughs> Incredible. Really, really great characters. He literally can't stop drinking. Uh, we go to Warbler Studios once again. Um, it's the fire it's the fire flame meeting. Again, Kelsey's turned back up to just change. She burst into someone else's meeting to say her piece. And I just thought it was worth repeating because it's excellent. This line really is excellent. And it's important that you read this and take note because she says, I mean, the rules are different for women. If you're a woman and you save the day, nobody loves you. People take you for granted. Mm. Or worse, they resent you. They try to punish you. The more powerful you are, the more they'll try to take your power away. Good God, did that hit me like a steam train. And Kelsey Leaven, of course, you mentioned it brilliantly, and it's absolutely on the money. You see they do a great moment with the elevator where the first time she leaves, she puts on a smile, but then sadly exhales because she got it wrong. But this time around, she exhales with joy because she's like kind of got it out of her system and then smiles because that's the thing that truly made her happy. And would you believe it, Michael, a happy ending, because it does, in fact, pay off. Despite the fact it might not be the film she necessarily wants to make, she ends up winning it because of her sticking to her guns. Mm. Also, quick note, I love, in any show, you mentioned Mad Men earlier, does it brilliantly, uh, but I also love, in this show, there is, I could watch a whole series of, of clips Something magic happens between the small space in an elevator where the people inside it react as they want to before they're supposed to. Does that make sense? The yeah, safe space yes. in an elevator, the fraction of a second before those doors shut where they mm. already think they're out of sight and you see the real them. Oh, I would watch Love a whole it. show called Elevator Doors where you get to see <laughs> some sort of moment that's happened, the real them in between the elevator doors. You could write books about them. I love that content anyway we go across from there to what i've called the roadside in new mexico as we will learn to suki new mexico mm. and what a fantastic fantastic gag this is because Paige is on the phone to her husband explaining everything in the background if you're paying attention maximilian is trying to get a, a little gist on where they are on this map of new mexico and it starts off small and then it gets a bit bigger and a bit bigger again to the point he's opened this map up so much that it is now bigger than him it's huge <laughs> The map is bigger than him. It's almost like Joey stepping into the map in Friends. He's got to get into the map. You can tell I've been doing a rewatch, can't you? And yeah. unfortunately, it becomes so big that the wind catches it and literally takes him <laughs> and the map away because that's how big it's got. A really cute gag, this. 
to which point he then realizes and it reveals that we see we're into Suki, New Mexico. Lovely stuff, mm. this. We go across to Paramount Studios once again, and I believe we're in like catering or something in Paramount Studios, a restaurant type deal. Um, an excellent gag in the foreground here before we get to Justin and Kelsey having another chat. There is a woman, an elephant woman, who was reading a book, Michael, called Giant Women by Louisa May Alcott. Now, for anybody who's familiar, of course, Louisa May Alcott is the American novelist, short story writer, and poet best known as the author of Little Women, Michael. Is oh, the book. very good, very good. Writing. And much like Little Men and Joe's Boys, it seems in the world of Bojack Horseman, Giant Women could be next in the sequels that come after Little Women. What a cute gag it is, but what a great gag. Very and, of nice. course, making you think about Little Women, Michael, a book that is held in such high esteem and also... For anybody who's interested, a book that Joy reads in Friends uh, that Rachel swaps in for The Shining. There you go. I'll tell you <laughs> what, it's all relative, isn't it? It's all bloody relative. Um, from there, though, we see in the background of that. So we go from the foreground to then Kelsey and Justin talking. But behind them is a bull man who's, a, I assume, the star who's on a telephone walking through the lots in Paramount, surrounded by a bunch of bird people, Michael. Much like when you see the bulls in the wild where they've got birds just resting on them, mm. uh, on the heads. I think that's meant to be the gag. They're all following the bull along as he's on the phone, I assume, tending to his every need because that's the life of the assistant. No matter what the walkout did, I'm still sure they're not getting as good of a deal as they should be. Um, <laughs> but Justin Kenyon, of course, brilliantly paying off Michael, a gag that was, the seeds were laid earlier during a phone call that Rudabega had with Kelsey Jannons where he basically said, do you think Justin Kenyon would be saying if, oh, you're only giving me the film because I'm a man, Justin Kenyon would be saying, get that money, nom, 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 nom. Of course, <laughs> Later on in the episode, quite literally, when Kelsey explains she's got the gig for Fire Flame, and he's, she's like, obviously, it's not necessarily what I want, but it's Fire Flame, it'll do. And he says, yeah, get that money. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> and literally acts it out with his hands. Really great gag. Justin Kenyon, what that, a complicated, weird character, but a good addition to this episode, I think. That's it, yeah. When um, Rudabaker says it to Kelsey, she's like, yeah, he does say that. He does it's, say that. <laughs> he does that well quite often. It seems like one he does enjoy going to as well. But hey, <laughs> the man likes what he likes, Michael. You can't ask for more than that. And finally, 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 we go across to the party in New York City. And uh, I love this line from Hollyhock. Uh, it's kind of when Pete is explaining to her that, or Peter is explaining to her that kind of alcohol, it just starts to taste a bit more okayer the more you drink it. Mm. She says, you know, it gets okayer with time is what he says. And she says, yeah, I'm kind of aspiring to be okayer over time myself which nice is that. a great little line, I feel, because she feels, I feel like she's come a long way still from the terrible thing that happened to her earlier in the seasons with being, you know, spiked and sort of um, drugged without her consent and all of the, the negative things that came with that. Mm. Here she is. We see her trying to face up to it. And yeah, she might have had a little stumble here, but this is a big step in the right direction and a nice one nonetheless. It's a shame though, Michael, because it's completely and utterly overshadowed by the last thing I'll mention in this episode by her saying, who is he? Pause. Who is he? At which point we cut to black, which feels very, very similar, Michael, to another repeated, obviously, ironically, again, Pete repeat, but another mm. repeated phrase at the end of an episode where we didn't know what was going on, which is featured heavily in this specific episode, season three, episode 11. That's too much, man. Sarah Lynn. Of course. Sarah Lynn. Brilliant. And here we are. And this time, the payoff is, is Bojack dead meat now? <laughs> We don't know, but we're going no, to find out, like undoubtedly, as we go along the way. But 
that is everything from this week's episode of Podcast Horseman and Horsing Around. But we do still have time, as always, for that one last thing. And then I swear to God, we'll shut up about this podcast forever. First or second, Mr. Hubbard? First, please, if it's okay. It's just a quick one, and it's a shout-out. Some excellent voice acting. Um, Maximilian and Paige. Uh, divisive characters, perhaps, because they are irritating by design. But the dialogue that is scripted for them is it's just remarkable. And you'll know we haven't kind of quoted too much of them here because I, it would be us doing a poor tribute act to a, yeah. some really, really wonderful voice acting. Fantastic scripting, really great acting. Go back and enjoy this episode and enjoy indeed these two characters. Far better on the rewatches, I find, than originally because they feel like an interruption to your regularly scheduled programming first time around. They're kind of a joy to behold, second, third, fourth, fifth time around. And I just wanted to shout them out um, because the actors that play them are kind of linked to the characters themselves. Mm-hmm. Paige is played by Paget Brewster, who you may have recently encountered on your rewatch of Friends, if anybody that has seen Friends before. She is Kathy. Um, she's done a number of other things. We were talking before about comedic performances in Community and Two and a Half Men and the like. Very, mm-hmm. very famous actor. And yeah. Paget for Paige, obviously. And Maximilian is Max Greenfield, uh, probably best known as Schmitty. Again, another sitcom bit of fame for this sitcom-themed show from New Girl. Um, he was, of course, uh, famously 29 on the birthday just before his 30th. <laughs> uh, a legendary character in a great show. Max and Paget playing Maximilian and Paige. Nice that they were given those names where their characters couldn't be further away from the, <laughs> the real-life actors themselves. Just great performances by those two. And a nice, a little, just a very, like, cheeky little Easter egg for those two. Pretty much like two of the last significant major characters that are going to be introduced in this show at all, in fact. Indeed, and he has an extra little one that's just popped into my head, uh, tying into Max, of course. What was meant to come out earlier last year, which would have been the same sort of time that this film came out, he is, of course, in Promising Young Woman as well, Mm, uh, in a a slightly minor role. But to say that it is uh, all relevant, I think, would would certainly pass, definitely. Um, A far cry from his role as Schmitty in uh, in New Girl, of course, (laughs) nevertheless still relevant and i love just as a little aside yeah i love how many of the cast members in certain different varieties from new girl that they've called upon for bojack horseman which just goes to show you how good they are really there's some really great ones in there and of course shout out to paget as well who is brilliant every time we see her on our screens and this time no less in a really difficult like you know princess carolyn does the tongue twisters but these two talk in a thousand miles an hour in words that no human on earth uses no human but there you go. No. What are you going to do? <laughs> anyway, one last thing for myself, Michael, is one which people have probably been shouting at us about uh, while they were listening through this one. In particular, <laughs> during the scene where Gina ends up getting dipped by her co-star. Uh, we both caught this, but we thought we'd leave it till the end because it is an impactful one and it's relevant to everything in this episode. We talked about when um, she obviously gets dipped, she kind of freaks out because her uh, co-star puts his hand on her neck, and that is, of course, a trigger for her because Bojack strangled her almost to death uh, last season. But also, you'll notice, if you watch the animation carefully enough, as she is walking off, and you mentioned it in your recap, essentially, um, the guy says, I had you, and then he follows that up with, what the f*** is wrong with you? Dropping the the F-bomb to great effect, but also, of course, a callback in itself. And if you watch Gina's face, sends pure horror up her spine to the point where she literally mm. has to leave 
immediately. They do a great way of animating her eyes here, where she just looks like she's seeing a literal ghost. Uh, yeah. it's, it's traumatic. Of course, you will remember, these are literally the words that come out of Gina's mouth the second she can actually speak. Yes. Having just been strangled by Bojack, she regains her breath and says to him, what the f*** is wrong with you? Of course, brilliantly there, the moment which he has severed a relationship with someone beyond repair, but the tremors that then lead into another actor chucking it back at her, even though she's done nothing wrong in the scenario, she's just suffering mm -hmm. with the ghost of Bojack Horseman. Amazing writing, amazing callbacks, amazing everything from the show. Just really sad circumstances, unfortunately. Uh, and yeah. the tale of Gina Casador gets sadder by the second as we go through this episode. But that episode's done now. The sadness is over. Mm. And the intrigue is high, I think we can all agree. But that is the end of this episode. It's the end of the first half of this season of Bojack Horseman. And indeed, I guess, technically, of Podcast Horseman. Because yeah, the way the cookie crumbles. But before we get into all that, we'll just quickly plug the podcast. We don't want you all to disappear and then forget your favorite <laughs> podcast or your favorite talking horse. Um, so please do if you like the podcast or if you hated it, or maybe if you were completely indifferent to it, who bloody cares? Come on and give us a follow at Podcast Horseman on Twitter or Instagram and come and tell us whatever your thoughts are about this episode, about this season, about the show in general, about our two stupid voices. Anything you want, we welcome it. <laughs> We wanted to start a community where more people were talking themselves horse about that talking horse. And I like to think we've done that a little bit and it's been nice mm. so far and we want it to continue, specifically want it to continue for the latter stages of this podcast because we are, whether you want to admit it or not, we are starting to get towards the end. But if you'd like to follow either of your hosts, you can do just that as well. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas or you can follow Michael Hamflit At Michael Hamflit. And um, you can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Overcast, on Amazon Music, pretty much anywhere where you can get them, you can get this one. Uh, we'd love you to subscribe or follow rather than just download. It's all good for the numbers. You know the drill by now. Uh, of course, you can get them on Acast through the subscription or through streaming uh, at Podcast Horseman on Twitter. Every Friday, the new episode drops. Uh, and if on any of those apps or distributors or whatnot, you can leave us five stars. We would love that. A little rate and review helps us up the charts, help the last opportunities for more people to talk themselves horse about the talking horse. As indeed, as Nicholas points out, we are on the final furlong. So this is the last chance for you to get your start on our Hollywood Talk of Fame, which is exactly what Mojopo73 did. The first person to take advantage of something I foolishly said early on in the life of one of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this feedback is titled something nasty but we got our five stars that's the main thing they said i could leave something nasty as long as i rated the podcast five stars so i did that mojo post 73 is a well-earned star on the hollywood talk of fame keep your eyes peeled on the socials the star will be winging its way to you very soon wonderful stuff i love the almost Raphael Bob Waxberg inversion of the something nasty there. <laughs> but as always, don't forget, if you do want to send something nice or something nasty, something nice to at It's Adam Nicholas, something nasty to at Michael Hamlet. <laughs> um, but while we're here, just before we do rush off, we should probably give you a quick update because, of course, as we noted in previous episodes, we will be having a little break next week, mm -hmm. uh, much to, one, just to let you get over what on earth you've just witnessed in that episode and to really take it all in, but we felt like an episode break would be good enough to kind of highlight the, the three-month break, I think, that yes. uh, the podcast, the Bojack Horseman had in real life. Um, but we will be returning, so there will be, just for anybody who may have forgotten, we just want to remind you all, there will be no episode of Podcast Horseman on Friday, September the 3rd, but there will be an episode of Podcast Horseman, episode 9, returning uh, on Friday, September the 10th. So put it in your diaries, 
that is when the Podcast Horsemen boys shall return once again to tackle the final half of the final season of Bojack Horseman. And before I forget, because I knew I was going to say this, we're going to do something new as well for the final half mm. of the final season, which I'm hoping you will all enjoy because we kind of wanted to give something back to the good folks of Podcast Horseman who listen to all of us and all of our ramblings about this horse and have done for this long. We've loved talking to you all. We've loved communicating with you all. We've loved getting your messages in the DMs. We've loved sort of replying to your favorite bits and bobs on Twitter. So we would like to give something back. So starting on episode nine, uh, which we'll get again, Friday, September the 10th, put it in your diary. Start with that episode. We will be doing a thing that for now I'm calling the most boring thing I can possibly think of, Follow Friday, we're going to call it. Um, and essentially, this is what we're going to do. We want enough of you have followed us and given us support on social media. So we'd like to return the favor. So anybody who retweets the episode, who gives us a like, gives us a share in any way, shape or form on social media. I probably have to be specifically Twitter, I think, because there'll be a lot of stuff going on, on Instagram. Too much to keep tra track of. So we're focusing on Twitter here. Um Anybody who does any of those great things and sort of helps boost the signal for that one last half a season, we will follow you back on social media. We'd like to give back. We'd like our followers or following number to increase dramatically because we love you all very much. We do mm. enjoy spending time with you and we think you deserve it. So anybody who does give us a little hand, we will be sure to return the favour. And that means I'll be sat there doing stars and inevitably finding all your accounts to go and follow <laughs> over the weekend. And you know what? I wouldn't have it any other bloody way. Anyway, I think, is that just about everything? Is that everything now? Yes, that is us yeah. for this episode and this half of the season. That is us for, so sound the alarm, ding-a-ling-a-ling. That is the end of the first half of season six. Oh no, of course, we'll do the synopsis, shall we, of the first episode of the second half of the season. Almost forgot that, bloody hell. Anyway, Netflix, synopsis, season six, episode nine, and it goes as follows. It's called Intermediate Scene Study with Bojack Horseman. When Bojack starts teaching an acting class at Wesleyan, Hollyhock sets some boundaries in their relationship. Oh, it sounds like it's going to be a nice, happy, uneventful episode yeah. <laughs> to start us off in that new season. Glad we're on those positive vibes already. But as always, if you want to find out what happens in the next episode of Bojack Horseman and indeed Podcast Horseman, You'll have to come back in two weeks' time to find out what bloody happens. And we hope you do. We're very excited. We're also nervous. We're also worried that the podcast is going to end soon. All of these emotions, but we can go through them all together and it'll be great. Anyway, until that point, I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.